so nice to have Sister Angel when she gets to join us. Karen, so glad you could come too. <laughs> Wonderful time of worship. Good to see you folks here. It is September and we are getting out of the summer months. Some people are starting to come on back. Good to see you. And some of our children are on their way out for Sunday school. It was good to have him here for the, for the worship service. As we get started today, if you're up on Facebook, I did announce this a little bit earlier and even told you last week. I don't remember what we talked about last week we're getting into. We're getting into, uh, we're still on the same, same topic we have been on, but we're going to look at something a little bit different. And I'll, I'll tell you why we're going to look at this here in just a minute. But just to kind of whet our appetite and get us ready for what it is that's about to come, we have a little video clip that I want you to see. It may be something that you have already seen. It may not be. But we're going to put this up there. We have that ready to roll? All right. Mr. Pitts. It's a rather unfortunate name. Mr. Pitts. Where are you? Mr. Pitts, you open your hymnal to page 542. Read the first stanza of the poem you find there. To the virgins to make much of time? Yes. One. Somewhat appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That sees the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding. Thank you for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope. Just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? <clears throat> Name. How many of you ever saw that scene before? That's from um, one of my favorite movies, Dead Poet Society. Why I showed that to you 
was this was his first encounter with the classroom for a topic that generally boys those age do not care about. <laughs> poetry. Most people don't care about poetry. But boys, especially that age, don't really care. But what he had at the end of that video clip was their attention. He had their attention. And he could do anything with them once he had their attention. We talked about this last week, about questions that we ask God. That many times we have, you can use your, your outside hands this time. How many of you have ever asked questions of God that you felt he ignored or never answered? Yeah. There's a reason for it. And the thing is, we haven't really studied questions a whole lot. But this dropped down in my spirit a few weeks ago. I actually thought it was going to be a whole new series and we could actually spend a couple of weeks on this. I'm not sure how long exactly we'll spend it, but it actually ties in with this that what we're doing, because this is what dropped in my spirit, that many people are asking God questions he cares not about, which then opens them up to get answers from a source other than God. But they accept that as God, and it alters their Christian walk. Now, most of us want to take a super spiritual look at this and say, well, God cares about everything. And that would be garbage. God does not care about every single question that you ask. And I can prove it to you from the Word of God. The problem that we have with the questions that we ask is, number one, the questions we're asking. And number two, the way we ask them. Now, how many of you, being parents, have had children ask annoying questions? We have. What is the general way that we deal with annoying questions? We ignore them. We answer them harshly. We, get them to, we try and get them to stop. What are some of the annoying questions that kids can ask? I think one of the best ones is, Are we there yet? <laughs> How many love to have that question asked? We just, we just love that. One of the most famous annoying questions we have, we all watch this show, I'm sure, at, at some point, is a, a young man, nice young man, uh, kind of odd, but a very nice young man, and he would uh, make a mistake and do something, and he would say, Did I knew that? <laughs> and it was an annoying question. Of course you did it. <laughs> And we would get irritated at him, for, but we loved the show. It was a great show. He was a great actor. Wasn't it funny when you actually saw him act normal? Oh, yeah. oh it was like, holy cow, this is a whole different guy. Oh, that was something else. We've been on this series here, and it, it is a, it, it's, a, it's a short little series. We're, all, we're only up to 12. This will end up being the shortest series I have done in decades, <laughs> the way that it's going right now. But we started this off with this one, First John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That we are not to test something for its truth to see if it's from God. We are to test its source. Because the devil can give us truth, 
But when he gives it to us, it's for the purpose of destruction. When God gives it to us, it's for the purpose of construction, for help, for growth. But we don't always check out the source. We check out the truth. And because it seems to us to be true, we accept it as from God. And then we get ourselves into trouble. Because I can only check out the truth compared to what I know to be factual. And our, our knowledge is very limited compared to God. If I want God to be able to grow me up, He has to be able to speak things to me that I can't compare with facts. But if I know the source, I receive it. That's why John writes this. It is imperative as Christians that we learn how to determine the source Not the truth. If you get the source down, you know it's truth. Because nothing comes from God that is not true. Look at it this way. Look at the folks in the Old Testament. How many prophets received a word from God on something they could not verify? And they would speak it out as truth. Because they realized the source was true. They would talk about things that are going. Micaiah, if you come back alive, I am not. Speaking of God. He had nothing to compare that to. But he knew it came from God. You got to compare the source. We also looked at James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. When envy and self-seeking come into our hearts, here's what comes. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. We get confused because something else has come in, spoken into our life, and has ignited self-seeking and envy. This happened back in the garden with Adam. Adam had a very clear directive from God. What was that directive? You may eat from any of the trees, but this tree you may not eat from. That's it. That's his directive. And the devil came in, has God really said? See, God knows that the day that you eat of it, you will know both good and evil. Is that false? That was true. He spoke truth to them. But God didn't want them to have to be burdened with the knowledge of evil. Just the knowledge of good. And they thought they were going to lose something. So in self-seeking... What God gave as clear became cloudy and confused. We saw Saul had a directive direct from God. Go, kill the Amalekites. Wipe everything out. Don't bring anything back. And when he comes back, what's he bring? The best. The king. So forth. And he comes back and says, look how obedient I was to God. And Samuel says, then what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? Oh, that, well, you know, the people. They brought back some of the finer things to sacrifice to God. Which we all get that famous quote. What is God like? Obedience better than sacrifice. Now, the last couple of weeks, we were looking particularly at thoughts. Because there's many times that Christians have gone on their walk, and you you all know this, we have felt like I know the thoughts of other people. I'm looking at them and I can see the wheels. I I know what they're thinking. You don't know what they're thinking. But I'm feeling like that. And we looked at Jesus. Jesus 
How many times do we see Jesus, it's said in the Word of God, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, answered them. Now, we also looked at it that in one particular passage, we saw that a number of people, several people, had the same thought. You cannot have a number of people have the same thought unless it came from a single source, which wasn't God. It wasn't God. So they all spoke something and the Pharisees and the Sadducees picked it up and they say, how does this man cast out demons? How does this man have the power to forgive sins? Because the devil comes along and he sows these things in. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, spoke to that. Now, God will reveal thoughts to us of other people, but he will reveal it with a particular plan. He will give you a purpose for it. He will tell you, this is their thoughts. This is what you need to do. This is how you combat. This is how you expose it. This is how you help them. This is how you can do them. He gives you that plan. But the devil can do it as well. Now, we all know that teaching devil doesn't know people's, what people are thinking. Except that fiery darts are simply thoughts. So if he can sow a thought, he can know what you're thinking. Because I sowed that thought. He doesn't know maybe if you stayed on it, but he knows that that thought was there. And so he can go up to another Christian and say, they're thinking this. But his purpose is not to help. It's to destroy. And so we spent some time on this and we looked at these thoughts that are revealed that if, if God reveals the thoughts of others to us, it will cause us to operate in a certain way. If the enemy does, it will cause us to operate differently. And we gave you some of those characteristics that would be there for that. Uh, division, false beliefs, betrayal. These are the things that comes when the devil reveals thoughts, but not God. When God comes, he exposes the enemy. He deals with wrong beliefs. He removes barriers of division. This is what God does when he, when he does these things. But once a thought comes to us, once the devil puts that thought, those people are thinking this thing, and I accept that thought into my life, and I begin to meditate on it. We talked about how thoughts unpack. Remember that? We talked about relatives who come over. And when you, the relative calls you up and say, hey, I need a place to stay for a week. Can I stay with you? Okay, sure. And when they come and they unpack, you find out they came with a lot more stuff than was advertised. They came with some habits. They came with some language. They came with some habits. Some, some things of, of that. We had, um, we've had you know, different people over the years stay with us. And uh, I remember one person came in. They had a habit of getting a shower at like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. This wasn't good. We didn't, we didn't like that, uh, that particular habit. <laughs> but you know, they, they move in. They don't advertise all the things that are bringing with them. They just move in. And that's what the devil does with these thoughts. If he can get you to take these thoughts, the thoughts unpack. All I got to do is get you to embrace this thought. You embrace this thought. Here's what's going to unpack. Criticalness. Envy. Strife. Gossip. Distrust. Dislike and hatred. These things unpack when they come in. Now, that's enough review. (laughs) Let's get into what we want to get into here. In Daniel chapter 9. In fact, um, go ahead and pull that up on the screen. Daniel chapter 9. I believe uh, we wanted verse 1, right? In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of Chaldeans. Uh, Keep on going. I... 
in the, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books. Look at this. He understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him. And he went on here and he talked about this confession that he had before God and all the things that he did. But we get to a, a spot where there's an answer in here. And that was uh, down in verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my, of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And then he begins to tell them all the things that were going, going to happen in those seventy weeks. So Daniel is studying in the Word, and he comes upon the, the verse of Scripture where Isaiah says, it's going to be seventy years of captivity. It wasn't, anything that you, it wasn't anything hard to understand. He says right out there, 70 years have been determined for, for um, captivity. And uh, after that, nothing. He didn't say what it was. So he begins to ask this question. What happens after the 70 years? Now, when he asks the question, what does God do? Well, according to Gabriel, he says, as soon as you made your supplication, I was sent. As soon as you made, I was sent. How many of y'all know that's a question that got God's attention? That God basically was waiting in heaven for someone to ask this question. What happens? He said it in his word. What happens after 70 years? And finally, a man came along who saw that because he was studying in the word, saw it and asked God the question. Now, how did he get his question answered so quick? He's not even done praying and he gets an answer. And it's not a, a, an easy answer. Oh, you know, Daniel, I love you. It's not just an easy... It's a, it's a very complex answer. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. And if you're here in the end times class, we went over some of the things that were, were in for that. But here, we've got some questions we've been asking God. And basically... You know, we've got some questions God has not answered. We have not heard. There's a reason for it. And we need to find out what the reason is and stop asking the questions that he doesn't answer. Because it would be a whole lot better for us. Now, the question here, are we there yet? This is a lazy question. This is a lazy question. This is a question born on laziness. You know, the kids sitting in the back of the seat. They're fighting with the brother and sister, all that. You know the stuff that goes on back there. And we're tired of sitting in the back of the seat. We're supposed to go somewhere. Usually it's vacation. They usually ask it in an irritating voice. They want to do nothing but sit back, ask the question, and let you answer it. Now, this question has some hidden qualities that we need to bring out. First off, this question, are we there yet? Has a quality of dissatisfaction of where I am. Does it not? Do you not determine from their voice, from the way they're asking the question, from the repeated asking of the question? 
that they are dissatisfied with where they are. Here's another one. Unthankful for the work done on, on their behalf. They are unthankful. Is the child in the back of the seat doing any of the driving? <laughs> are they paying for any of the gas? Have they plotted out the course? Are they following the signs? They're doing nothing. But sitting back there making it really difficult for the driver. Aren't we there yet? And maybe as a parent, you might answer that question the first time. Maybe. But after a while, you get tired of answering this question. You just ignore it. And if you go on a trip, if they ask me one time, they're not going to do it. Here's the, here's the third quality. Impatience to get somewhere. So in one question, we have these qualities. They are impatient, they are unthankful, and they are dissatisfied. Now you can put your own question there. I just kind of put a blank line. That's not one of my blank lines. That's a blank line for you. You can fill this in however you want. Why hasn't blank happened yet? Amen. <laughs> right? How many times have we asked God this? Why hasn't this happened? Why haven't I been healed yet? Why hasn't this gone yet? Why hasn't this come yet? Why hasn't this gone on? What about... What are, we, what are we saying? I am dissatisfied with where I am. I am unthankful for all that has gone on for me. And I'm impatient to get where I need to go. If you are God, would you answer that question? We also may say, well, why don't I have this? Hey, but Abraham. Abraham, God comes, shows up to Abraham, calls him blessed, all kinds of nice things. And what comes out of Abraham's mouth? What can you give me seeing as my heir is not from my house. He's, he's dissatisfied with where he is. He is unthankful for all the things that he's got and he is impatient for this son of promise to get there. This is a question of unbelief. What more can you give me seeing as I go childless and the heir of my house is someone not even born to it? There's unbelief in that question. I really don't think you're going to do what you said. You brought me all the way out here. You promised all this stuff to me. And nothing on that line has happened. I really don't think you're going to do it. It has qualities of doubt, self-righteousness, and a complaining tone. So I ask again, if you were God, would you answer that question? Well, here's a question in Daniel that got God's attention. In fact, it got God's attention so much, he dispatched... Gabriel, come here. You're my main guy. Gabriel's the main guy to bring a message. If you want a message sent, if it's a really high quality message, this is the guy. Gabriel, come here. Now, Gabriel's an angel. He can't be in all places at all times. He's got one job at a time. To Gabriel, this is your job. I want you to go on down there. I want you to make him understand. I want you to cause him to understand what it is that he's asking. Because that's the phraseology that's used there. Now, Daniel's question came because he was studying the Word. Not because he's impatient. Not because he's dissatisfied. It came because he's studying the Word. And the Word of God said 70 years. And he counted up. It's about now. 70 years is done. So what happens now? If nobody asked that question, would anything have changed? Because it seemed that the answer was sent as soon as somebody asked. Well, we heard that from the Word of God that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
So he heard the word of God. Faith came to him. He asked that question based on faith. And a question based on faith got God's attention. He doesn't say, how come this isn't happening now? How come he said 70 years? We're past 70 years. How come it's not happening? He doesn't ask it that way. He asked it in a way that got God's attention. We saw the answer that he had given. And it's quite a, quite a good answer. Now here's another question that was asked that got attention. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? End of the end of the age. That is not a, are we there yet question. This is a question that was born out of some thought. They heard what Jesus said about these stones being torn down. They pondered it. And they didn't come to him saying, this should never be. Can we prevent? None of that. They accepted what Jesus said as truth and then based the question based on that truth. So they said, tell us three questions. Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming end of the end of the age? Now, for those of you, how many of you here have never been through end times class? Anybody here never been through end times class? Call a couple of people. Just kind of bring you up to speed on this. If you've been through end times class, this is review. But if you haven't been, there are three questions that they ask. Jesus in Matthew answers two of them. In Luke, he answers two of them. So between the two gospels, all three are answered. But he only answers what they ask. Now, here's the problem with a lot of people in end times teaching. They look at Jesus' answer and they take answers to questions they didn't ask. Jesus doesn't answer questions you don't ask. That would be confusing. He answers questions that you ask. So many people take from what Jesus said as teachings on the rapture. Did they ask about the rapture? No, they don't know about the rapture. They can't ask about it. If they didn't ask about it, how is it that we can take teaching that Jesus did about the rapture? Remember he said two are on the hill? One will be taken? That is not a rapture verse. That is a second advent verse. The person who stays is the Christian. The one who's taken is the unbeliever. As it was in the days of Noah, who left the earth? The unbelievers. Who stayed? The believers. But see, people take that and they try and teach rapture stuff out of it can't do that because that's not what Jesus is teaching. That's not a question that he's answering. He's answering the questions that they ask. Now, I believe in the rapture, but not because Jesus taught it. Because Jesus didn't teach it. How can, you, how can Jesus teach about the rapture of a church when the church hasn't even been introduced yet? If you want a rapture verse, go over to Paul, Thessalonians. Now, concerning the things which he wrote to me about, it is impossible for the tribulation to begin until, and this is, where, this is where people have a hard time with it, because your Bible reads this way. Your King James Bible and your New King James Bible read this way. It is impossible for the tribulation to occur until the, and your Bible reads this way, the great falling away happens first. And most of us have believed that there is a great apostasy, a great falling away from the gospel before the rapture of the church. And that's false. Paul never taught that. It's not in the Bible. It's a mistranslate, a gross mistranslation. 
because you cannot get fallen away as apostasy unless you have a combination of two words. And in that verse of Scripture, you only have one of them. What it means until the great catching away happens first. The word is harpazo, which is a great rapture uh, word. He says until the great rapture occurs, the great catching away happens. It is impossible for the tribulation to come. And then he goes on and he talks about how he who hinders has to be removed. And how many people have always heard that's the Holy Spirit because of the he. The church is usually referred to as a she, right? Yeah, when when it is the bride of Christ. But you know, there's a lot of Paul's teaching in which he doesn't talk about the church as the bride of Christ. He talks about the church as the body of Christ. If the head of the body is male, what would the body be? You see, the Word of God is not confused like people are today. We don't have that going on. If the head of the church is male, then in that context, the body is male. He who hinders is us. Until we are removed from the face of the earth, the the Antichrist cannot be revealed. Why? Because we'd expose him. We'd expose him in a second. Because we know enough people know how to spot him. That's him. That's him. It's right there. So he can't be exposed until we get out. Because we'd recognize him. So we got to go. Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. Holy Spirit's staying right down here all through the tribulation. Why would God remove the Holy Spirit during the toughest part? No, Holy Spirit's staying right here. We're leaving. Anyway, that's just little end time stuff. Get me off on that. I can stay there all day. So here's what we got to do, folks. We've got to improve our questions. We've got to get our questions better. So if we took that first question, are we there yet? And if we change that first question, say that you were a kid in the back seat. Dad's driving, mom's driving, whoever's driving. Kids in the back seat. And instead of him saying, are we there yet? This is what he says. Dad, how far are we going to be driving? Well, some are, we're going about 500 miles. 500 miles. Dad, how far have we driven so far? Or how far have you driven so far? Uh, so far, I've driven about 250 miles. All right, so we've got about 250 miles to go. H- how long has that taken us, Dad? Maybe he can't tell time, maybe he can. But if he can't tell time, you might ask the question, how long has that taken us? Well, that's taken us four hours. So we should be there in another four hours then, right? That's right. Now, from here on out, all this son or daughter has to ask is, Dad, how far... Have we traveled? Do you mind answering that? No, the answer is different each time that you would ask it. Well, we've now gone about 350 miles. Oh, so about 150 miles to go. He starts doing the math inside himself and figuring that out. He's got an idea. And maybe a little while later, Dad, how far have you, have you driven so far? Uh, I've driven about 400. Oh, we are almost there. <laughs> we got just 50 more miles to go. That's right, son. Just about 50 more miles. Now, do you, would you mind that conversation? No, that'd be kind of exciting. Here it is. We're teaching math. We're, to, we're having all kinds of interaction here. And they are respectful of the work that you've done to get you that far. <laughs> this would be all right. So if we can take our questions to God and phrase them differently, 
we would be, be in better shape, right? Our questions must contain these qualities. These are things your questions to God must contain. If they don't contain it, you're not going to get God's attention. Now understand there are people in the Word of God who did not get God's attention. Some of them got His attention, but He's angry because of their questions. How many can remember some questions in the Word of God that got them angry? Jesus got some questions from the Pharisees. He was angry. Did not the children of Israel ask some questions that got God angry? Yeah. Not all questions are equal. God does not like all questions. Here's some qualities. First one, faith. Your question must have faith in it. Faith in what God has already declared in His Word. They must have that in there. You must accept it as being truth and base a question on that faith. Another one is patience. Faith works by patience. Here's a verse for you. Hebrews 6.11 And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. If your question sounds impatient to you, what do you think it sounds like to God? God, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this to happen. It just hasn't happened. I've been faithful. I've been staying. I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's just not happening. God, I don't know what else to do. Does that sound like you sometimes in prayer? What do you think God's doing? Can you turn that one off? Squelch that. Turn it right off. Yeah. If you've ever been on one of those ham radios... Uh, it's been a long time. I'm pretty sure it was the ham radio. Had to, they had a squelch button in which you could turn off some of the background noises so you can just uh, isolate the voice and stuff. And uh, I think when we start complaining like that, we're just a background noise. God says, just turn that squelch. No, yeah, there we go. But no, God hears everything. You better be glad he doesn't. You better be glad that God tunes some of that stuff. You know what? That's faith and that's unbelief. Just, just block that one out. We just don't need to be hearing that. Do you remember a woman who happened to be on the road with Jesus who was asking Jesus a question? What did Jesus do on that? Absolutely nothing. Ignored, ignored, ignored. Please come and please come and heal my daughter. Please come and heal my daughter. Oh, please come and heal my daughter. He's ignoring him, just going on by. And finally she came and she worshipped him. The Word of God says, Well, I got his attention. That's it. He just, you know, he got. Why am I going to give the, the bread of the children to you, little dogs? And she could have gotten offended like a lot of people did and gone along and whined and fussed and called me a little dog. <laughs> but she didn't. She simply said, yes, but even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Hmm. What did Jesus say? Oh, that's faith. That's faith. I recognize that's faith. Jesus loves to answer faith. Loves to answer faith. Get your question phrased in a way of faith and patience. Don't just throw it out there. Spend some time thinking about that question. You can just say, God, I gotta, I'm going to have a question for you on this, but I just need a little bit. I need a little bit. I need to make sure I, I get this question right. I'll be back. God says, okay. God would like that. See that? He's taking some time and getting the question going. All right, I like this. You don't have to have your question perfect, but get it in faith and get it in a place of, of patience. 
Here's the third one. Contentment. A lot of times our questions are based on the fact that I don't have what somebody else has. I don't have what I want to have. I don't have what I deserve to have. I don't have what I think I should have. And my question is, is that way? God, I've been serving you for 30 years. That person over there, one year. One year and you gave it to them and I still don't have it? Are you kidding me? What do you think God's going to do for that? I can tell you exactly what he's going to do with it because it's in the Bible. There's a parable that Jesus told. Parable is the story he made up. He went out and found some workers before his part of the day and said, come on, work for me for Daenerys. They came and they worked for him. Found some other ones, some other ones, found some other ones. Finally, he gets to the last group. They work for one hour. And then he started handing out the rewards. Starts with the group with one hour. And he gave them a Daenerys. Gave the next group a Daenerys. Next group a Daenerys. Next group a Daenerys. Comes to the first group that he hired that he actually said, I'm going to pay you a Daenerys. And they all began to say, he's paying them a Daenerys and them a... We're going to get paid more because we, we were there the whole day. And he comes to them and he gives them a Daenerys. What's this? What's this? You gave them, they're only out here an hour. You gave them a Daenerys just like us? I said, that's exactly what I said I would give you. If I want to be generous with my money, it's my business. Go your way. You got what you deserve? You got what I said? You come to God with discontentment, he'll send you away. Probably the next day when he came back and got some workers, saw them guys says, no. No, I'm going to leave you here. Take that one. Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Many people have not learned that lesson just yet. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Contentment. Learn to be content with, with, with such things as you got. Doesn't mean that's all you're going to have. Just learn to be content with it. Learn to be content with the car that you got, with the house that you got. Learn to be content with the friends that you got, the blessings that you got, with the job that you have. Stop going to work complaining. Hate this job. Hate this job. God, you need to send me another job because I hate this job. <laughs> What's God going to do? I got to learn to be content. We can start having questions for God. God, when are you sending me another job? God, when can I quit this job? <laughs> These are not questions that God likes. Contentment. Here's another one. Thanksgiving. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How are you supposed to ask things of God? With thanksgiving. How do we a lot of times ask God for things? Well, God, I appreciate that job that you gave me, but you know, it's not meeting my needs. I need something different. Did we measure up with that scripture? God, I appreciate that healing that you sent me, but you know, it's, uh, it's not quite cutting it. I'm still having this and this going on. You know, you, you need to come in here and do the full thing. By faith, I'm believing you. <laughs> Thanksgiving. We got to have Thanksgiving. We got to be glad. When we come to God, are we seeing thankfulness? Thanksgiving, are we seeing contentment? Are we seeing patience? Are we seeing faith? Or do, do we just say whatever comes into our head? 
not the way we're supposed to go, folks. Now I'm going to give you this and then I'm going to prove it to you in the Word of God. It is content, not position, that gets our questions answered. It is content, not position, that gets our questions answered. There's a whole lot of folks out there, folks, and we think because of my position in the family of God, because I am a son, because I am an heir, because of my position in the family of God, he will answer my questions. And that is not true. God answers your questions because of content of what you say, not position that you hold. Now, I'll give you the verse of Scripture here in just a minute. But just think of it this way. If you have a job where you have a boss that you report to, and you have a position in that company, and you come to that boss and irreverently ask them to do something and think they'll do it because of your position in the company. How far will that get you? Could be fired. But you, when you have a boss in the company, even though you have a position in that company, you begin to carefully consider how to phrase your request to that boss for what it is that you need. All right, you ready for the verse? Daniel chapter 10, verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel... Man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. Now, in this particular chapter, Daniel began to seek the Lord for the meaning of something for three weeks. Three weeks. Had some fasting mixed in there, too. Three weeks he was seeking God on this. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Your what? Your words were heard. And I have come because of your... He did not come because of his position. Now, don't, didn't we just read that he was greatly beloved? Not only did he have a position, he was greatly beloved of God. But here it says... Where am I? Verse 12. There he said, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart, that's 21 days ago, to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. So if he came because of his words, could the answer not come because of our words? But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold Michael one of the chief princes came to help me for I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia now I want you to get the understanding of what this is telling us this is telling us that Daniel asked a question based on knowledge he wanted more understanding on a topic and asked a question sought to understand something that not only got the attention of heaven but it also got the attention of Satan. The kingdom of Satan was stirred up. At the same time, the kingdom of God was stirred up. To the point that a clash occurred over his words. Not his position. Over his words. And his desire to seek. Now, we told you this in the end times class. How many places can you find in the word of God 
where revelation knowledge was hindered by the enemy. <laughs> Not many. Not many. This is one of the most glaring times we see it. And what topic does it deal with? End times. What is the topic that most Christians stay away from? End times. Why do people stay away from end times teaching? Because it's too hard. It's so confusing. I don't need to know that stuff. These are the questions people have. Apparently, folks, end times teaching is so important. As far as we know from the Word of God, it is the main teaching that the enemy stepped in to try and stop. How important do you think it is? Well, we won't be here. The rapture will happen. Was Daniel going to be here for the rapture? Mm -mm. Apparently, that didn't stop the enemy from not wanting him to get it. Why? Well, study end times and find out. So he's withstood. He says in verse 14, Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For For the vision refers to many days yet to come. So the enemy is concerned that this knowledge would be poured out to Daniel and it has nothing to do with today, the day that Daniel's there, but for many days in the future. And he doesn't want it to get out. Did Daniel ask a good question? It sure was. That's an excellent question. Daniel asked some really good questions. Every once in a while, the disciples would ask some good questions too. Sometimes, they would, they would say some stupid questions. Sometimes they would do some not so good things. And what did Jesus do when that happened? He generally let them know about it. And that was stupid. Remember when they said, uh, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And they said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus said, what? I can just see Jesus do, What? You think I'm talking about bread? Bread? That's what you think we're talking Bread? Weren't you there when we fed 5,000 people? How much bread did we start with? How much did we end up with? What about when we fed 4,000? How much bread did we start with? How much bread did we end with? And you think I'm talking about bread? <laughs> the disciples were afraid to ask anymore about that. <laughs> he, didn't, uh, he didn't take to that one too well. Our questions that we ask of God are important. If we do not ask questions, we do not grow in our understanding. We do not grow in our knowledge. But we've got to ask questions with the right characteristics. It doesn't mean we have to have all the information right. Nowhere in that list that I ever put knowledge, put faith, patience, but not knowledge. You can ask a question that's ignorant, but you, it's the best question you can formulate at the time. And what will God do? Answer it completely. Totally answer that question. Just think of it when you have a, a little two-year-old come up to you and ask you a question. And, oh, that question's so cute. Oh, man, it's, just, it's a nice question. It means absolutely, you know, you understand that they don't know what they're asking. But, oh, it's so cute. And you, just, you answer the question. Now, if they're 21 and they ask the same question, you look at them and say, What? Huh? What's one of the best questions for a three-year-old? Why? Everybody knows it, right? Three-year-old, income the wise. If you say something, why? 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 
Lazy question. It involves no thought. You've got to do all the work. I do nothing but say, why? I don't even know if I care about the answer, but why? <laughs> we just keep going on the, on the why. And I had a, uh, my niece, she was growing up, it's, it many, I don't know how many years ago. It was a lot of years. I'm not going to guess. I tried to guess yesterday. I was on the phone with um, um, Window Shield Company with the Safe Light, and uh, they had done a repair on my windshield. I thought it was like three or four years ago. They looked it up and said, oh, yeah, that was back in 2010. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Six years ago. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have no idea about perception of years, but she was going through this stage and just would constantly ask questions. And I had the idea that she don't even care what the answer is. So I stopped answering the questions until she would repeat them. I figured she repeated, and she really wants to know the answer. And what happened was, after, after a course of, of doing this for a little while, I, I trained her. She didn't do this with everybody, but she did it at least with me. She didn't ask me as many questions. I thought, that was, this is good. Because they were useless questions. They just were firing off questions, and, you know, not quite why, but along those, along those lines. Don't ask God, well, why? Well, why? Well, why? No. Take what you know, ponder it, Meditate on it and then come out with a, le- a legitimate question after that. Look at the disciples. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, their end of the age question was the end of the Jewish age. We're in the church age. The end of the church age is the rapture. They didn't ask about that. They asked about the end of the Jewish age, which is the end of the 70 weeks determined for his people. There's just a break between week 69 and 70. We all know about that one by now. But then we're going to spend a little bit of time on this, on the questions aspect. How do I get my questions to be better? How do my questions capture the attention of God? Because if I ask questions that God has no interest in answering, the enemy does. And he'll send an answer my way. And many Christians have accepted answers on questions that didn't interest God. Remember the first thing he said to the disciples after they asked him those three questions? Be careful that you are not deceived. For many will go out in my name. And he went on and gave them the warning. Don't, don't just buy into that. You can ask questions that God is interested in. Because you, ha- you have faith, you have patience, you have contentment, and you have thankfulness. You get those qualities working in your questions. And you will catch the attention of heaven. To the point if God has to, he will send an angel down like he did with Daniel to make sure that you get the answer. I want to ask some questions to God that get his attention. He says, angels, come here, come here. I need somebody. I need, who's available, right? I need you to go. I need you to make this one. Under, I need you to get this answer to them. We've been waiting for this. We've been waiting for somebody to understand to ask this question. Let's get on this. There are questions waiting to be answered, but they're waiting for the question to be asked. And until we ask, the answer won't come. What kind of questions are you asking God? How will I ever get through this day? Right? How will I not kill my coworker? These questions do not, do not uh, meet the qualifications, folks. We can ask them differently. We need to learn how to ask 
better questions. Because if I ask the right questions, I get quick answers. Because we have seen in a couple of times already that when a person asked the right question, the answer was sent immediately. If I've been waiting on a question to be answered and it's been six months, a year, two years, and I'm still asking the same question, maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Maybe I'm asking the right question the wrong way. Maybe I had the wrong attitude, wrong expectation. Maybe there's no faith in my question. Maybe there's no patience. What are your questions like? Write down some of your questions you have for God. Take a look at them. What am I I spending time asking God about? You may find out that the majority of your questions are about yourself. Your well-being. How your life can be better. But whatever it is, write them down and begin to look at it. Because we need to improve our questions. We need to come up with better questions. Because the better the question, the better the answer. And the greater revelation I can receive is the greater light I can walk in. And if I am walking in greater light, then the enemy can't deceive me. He can't trap me. And the walk of faith will become a lot easier. Here's the problem with us, folks. We've been going along in our Christian life and the enemy's attacks have, gotten, have come against us quite well. But we have not grown in our light. And we're stumbling around and he's getting us tripped up. Because our walk was going to produce more persecution. But it was also supposed to produce more light. And if I don't walk in the greater light, I can't withstand some of the things that are ahead for me. I'll show you that in the Word of God. But that's enough for today. Would you all stand up with me? Well, Father, we all have questions. We all have questions about you, about your Word, about how we are to live down here. We have questions, Father. But you have answers. We got to just stop firing off questions and learn to listen to our questions. They ask questions to get your attention. Get questions that are based on faith and patience, contentment, thankfulness. Put ourselves in a position to receive revelation, light, all the things you have for us. Father, we give you the praise and the glory for it. I thank you. I thank you for the name of Jesus. Before we leave here this morning, it is our communion Sunday. Jesus, before his crucifixion, how many all know his crucifixion would cause many questions for the disciples? most of which would not be born in faith. Most of the disciples' questions after the crucifixion dealt with, how did that happen? Why did that happen? But they didn't base it on what God had taught them, that he would be crucified, dead and buried for three days. On the third day, he would be raised up. 
if they would ask questions based on that revelation, it would have changed things. But they didn't do it. We have been walking in the light of revelation. And we have not allowed that revelation to bring us to questions for God. We just sat in the same revelation that we have. But God wants you to grow. He wants you to expand. And He's given you knowledge and understanding. And He expects that out of that knowledge and understanding that you would have more questions. But if we just sit on the knowledge that we have, we won't grow. And if we face something in our lives like the disciples faced in theirs where Jesus was crucified, dead and buried, they weren't prepared for what came. And they all fell off. Jesus even said, every one of you, Every one of you is going to leave. Peter stood up and said, Not me. You. Rest of them? Yeah, they may go. Not me. He says, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. They won't accept it. God has some things in the future for you. God has some revelations. God has some light for you to walk in. The only one hindering is you. You're the only one. God is waiting for you to ask the questions of Him that will allow Him to send you the answer that you need. So we drink together. Let's remember that Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, He took the bread teaching us that this represented His body broken for us. That upon His body was put our sickness, our diseases, so that we would not have to bear it anymore. As we eat together, let's remember the work of Jesus. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. Old covenant covered up sin. New covenant washed it away. You are washed clean before the Father. String together, remember, there is nothing we need to add to the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. We have a couple of praise reports. I want to read for you before we go. Anybody else have one? Feel free to get them out. Alexis, my family is safe and enjoying themselves in sunny California. I found that an example I'll be taking is one-third the cost I thought it would be, and I have more than enough money saved. Amen. Ethel, before going back to work, I asked God for a certain salary in order to be able to give more. Not only did he promise the amount I asked for, he doubled it. (laughs) Marguerite, my dad has been moved to rehab and is continuing to improve. Thank you all for your prayers and support. Glory to God. Good to hear what God is is doing. 
think on your questions. Write something down. Get something to write it down. I'd love to hear some feedback from you on the questions that you're asking. Think of some of the questions you have asked. If you're deficient in that area, that's all right. Realize it. Realize now I'm going to change it. I'm going to move. I have been asking questions in this area. That's probably why I'm not here in a whole lot. But I'm going to start asking questions in this area. We're going to start moving out into some of these other, other places. God will change it for you. we got more from the Word of God to see and to, to look on these things. Hope you can join us next Sunday when we, we get into some of those. Wednesday. We did not get into this last Wednesday. We had to cancel the service last Wednesday uh, for a couple of reasons. Well, I know everybody seemed to be away. Um, we knew a couple of people would be away and then it seemed like some more people were coming in. But the power went out here for about two hours which stopped the air conditioner from working so the place wasn't being cooled down. So I waited around until the power got turned on. Good thing I did because the fire alarm went off when as soon as the power came on. I punched in the code. Didn't quite get it to fast enough and the fire department was dispatched. No. So um, I had to wait until they got here to uh, tell them what I tried to do to keep them from being dispatched. I called to them. I did all sorts of stuff. I couldn't get them to, to not come. They were very nice, very uh, very good when they came on by. So power came back on, alarm went off. We got it all, all taken care of. But don't know what caused. There was nothing really going on around here, but uh, the whole shopping center was out. Businesses closed early. Went on home, but um, came back on. So we're going to take that same topic we had been looking at as far as dealing with the uh, believers in sin. We first took a look at what habitual sin is, and habitual sin is not doing the same sin over and over again. So in the Word of God what that was. But then what are we supposed to do with people that are in habitual sin? Are we supposed to write them off? Are we supposed to not eat with them? Are we not supposed to have them in the church? That's what we've been covering. So we spent two weeks on that. we got the third week we're going to be doing on that this Wednesday and we'll finish this this part of it up looking at Paul's teaching particularly on this uh, this topic so we'll be doing that on, on Wednesday for those who can who can make it out again Angel thanks so much for coming on by it's a pleasure to, to have you here have a great rest of the day and our end times class will be starting up here in September I haven't picked, uh, picked exactly which date it is by the way